Welcome to the Mastering Communications podcast. Unfortunately, there is some echo present in this episode. We hope you'll enjoy it nonetheless while we are working on echo-free episodes for the future. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Mastering Communication podcast. This podcast is created as part of the Master International Communication program, also known as the MIC, at the Hanse University of Applied Sciences in Groningen. Every episode, I will sit down with an interesting guest from the field of communication to share their knowledge and expertise. This way, we hope to inspire and enthuse you to become just as interested in the field of international communication as we are. I'm your host, Dominique van Aalte, and today I'm here with the MIC program manager, Trinke Dreifhout. Next to her work as program manager, Trinke also works for the Hanse East Africa Hub. I know her as the enthusiastic face behind my master, and today I'm excited to learn more about her. Thank you for joining me uh, as my first guest, Trinke. Uh, and to start off, I'd like to give you a small challenge. Um, can you introduce yourself in one sentence? Oh, yes, I can, Dominique. I think I'm a very passionate and dedicated program manager of the Master International Communication who loves to go to work every day because of the international students she is surrounded with. Very nice, very complete. Yeah, so um, let's jump right in uh, with the MIC, um, because you work as program manager at the MIC, uh, and I'm kind of curious to see um, why you ended up in this role, uh, what, what your passion or communication or connection to the uh, study program is. Yeah. I have a background in international business and I've worked in Russia and what we call East Europe for a very long time as an expert consultant. So I was every day I was confronted with people's communication and with the intercultural communication dialogue. But I studied Russian language and cultures and the name says it in itself. You learn about language, you learn about culture, but there's nothing about intercultural communication. And even though you can speak a language so well, you still encounter a lot of communication issues you cannot grasp. And after my career as an export consultant, I really would like to pursue my career in a more academic way. And I started 16 years ago at the Hans University of Applied Sciences, where I started first as a senior lecturer in, you guess, entrepreneurship, personal development, and intercultural consultancy. I was very hearted for these topics. And I was really challenged about what international communication really was and is, because I'm still learning every day. Yeah, so at first, the the way that you kind of ended up at the Hansa is very much from the business perspective. Yes. Yeah, how do you see that in your work uh, still? Because from what I've heard so far, um, international communication is really a mix of all kinds of different disciplines. So I'm very curious about this one. Yeah, I think what is usually underestimated in business programs is that the focus is very much on marketing strategies and business development strategies, which are fully on the line. They are very, very important. And there is not so much focus on intercultural communication and on the stakeholders' dialogue. And I think these days it is very important as companies work with international stakeholders to know more about cultural differences. And if you want to know more about cultural differences and also differences in communication styles, you first have to become interculturally aware of yourself. Um, And if you are aware of yourself, you can become more aware of intercultural differences in others. And this way, that is, I think, a very important start 
to become more intercultural competent and bridge the differences and also adapt accordingly in your communication styles. But if I can continue, there is more what I would like to say. Uh, there is also, of course, the developments in online communication, which made communication even more important than, for instance, 10 years ago, when communication was usually printed. It was used to send information about your business, products and services. And I think that changed very much uh, over the last 10 years. Now, with all the social media present, but also on other online media present, it has become more important to monitor the online debate, what people say about your company, because that really matters and can influence your reputation. And I think, and also to use online channels to promote uh, your own business, but more importantly, to engage your stakeholders, your consumers into your business has also become more and more importantly compared to 10 years ago. Yeah, so it's very much about the, the human connection to the business in a sense. So the way in which yeah. you communicate with uh, different stakeholders, so people like customers or uh, business partners that you work together with and have yes. those almost interpersonal relationships in the relation, like the larger context of culture can affect. Yeah, and let me also give in another example. For instance, KLM and Air de France. We all yeah. know that this was not a successful merger. Mm. In my modest opinion, this was very much about uh, intercultural differences, which both uh, organizations were not able to recognize. Yeah. Because the Dutch were very straightforward in the communication. <clears throat> they have not really a sense for hierarchy. And well, that for the French is very important. Yeah. And also for the French, usually it's very important that you reach within your organization consensus about certain decisions. And the Dutch KLM, I think in this case, could have moved much uh, faster because they easily get consensus in the way they work. Well, the French just needed more time because it goes through all the layers in the organization. Yeah. And not only that, but also I think for Air de France, building a personal relationship is very important. And you do that by... Building relationships, you do that by having dinners to, uh, dinner together, by making time, because it's also about building trust. And I also think that KLM, efficient as they are as a Dutch company, they were more led by an agenda and by goals, professional goals, instead of investing in the relationship. Um, but what happened, I think, um, yeah, if I look at this case, is that the signals were there, but they were not recognized as intercultural differences, but were more observed as a, as a sign of resistance. Yeah. So KLM was saying the French are very slow and because they are slow, they are not willing to work with us. Mm. And probably the French would say from the Dutch KLM, how can they just walk over us and with elephant feet tremble us down? Well, we, yeah. well, we just need more time. So these signs of resistance, I think both parties thought they were, were not really a form of resistance, but a way of a different way of working, how you run the process and how you go about the intercultural dialogue. Yeah, so more of an intercultural misunderstanding almost. Uh, yes, I yeah. think so. And it was not recognized that way. Yeah. And I think you see that a lot of time in, uh, in business. Mm, yeah. yeah.
Yeah, especially uh, with the internet, of course, as you mentioned before, everything is becoming more and more internationalized by the day almost. So these intercultural um, competencies are becoming much more important for uh, communication professionals. Yes, I think so. And um, I think intercultural stakeholders management has also become uh, a discipline in itself next to business management because you always work in an international setting. Another example is, for instance, Shell. I think Shell is also a very interesting example. If you look at Shell, uh, only five years ago, Shell was a company selling itself as an oil and gas company, working internationally in countries like Nigeria and other countries, and not having very good stakeholders' relationships. Mm, These days, look at the website. They have committed themselves. They've completely rebranded themselves. And they have committed themselves to energy and innovation to achieve, I think, even net zero emissions by the year 2050. And I was really surprised to read that uh, they will invest in stakeholders' value, shared stakeholders' value. So this company is really also trying with the rebranding to yeah to build up a reputation of a company a green company with an eye for its environment its intercultural stakeholders and i think this was a big move for shell and i think that also shows another important discipline of international communication and that is reputation management building your reputation towards a more sustainable business and sustainability i also would say is key in international communication yeah definitely it's it's a subject that's being talked about a lot Um, but these sounds like sound like very interesting um but also very difficult things to do um so i'm wondering uh, what you see as uh, essential skills for communication professionals to have yeah i think that's a very good question well if you look at shell if we dive a little bit deeper into that case we also know that Shell is also accused of greenwashing. So I always think if you work as a communication professional for Shell, you really have a challenge in, and I'm getting now to answer your question, in building trust and transparency. Because that that is not easy. If you are in the the process of rebranding like Shell, and we see that a lot more, uh, in particular for business working towards a more sustainable uh, business, it is hard to build trust and be transparent towards your international stakeholders. I think that is probably one of the main challenge uh, a communication professional uh, has. Having said that, I think the second, and it's actually a consequence when you say you have to build trust and transparency, is that you are able to lead the process of change in an organization And not only in an organization, but also outside. And the stakeholders are usually very diverse and very broad. It goes from your consumer to a business organization or association to a government to non-profit organizations. You just name it. So I think to be... um, yeah, to be able to lead the process of change, I think, is also a very important one. A third key contribution of communication professionals is, and that is, I think, connected to the process of change, that is about uh, critical strategy development. So, in a way, I think uh, a communication professional 
We should also be able to look at the future, what is possible, what is not possible, what are future scenarios, what are possible scenarios, and from there start to lead the process of change in an organization. Because we are dealing with a future we don't know. And what we know or think we know about the future is very uncertain and can sometimes really make ourselves anxious. So I think also looking at the future uh, and, and have the guts also to lead the process of change, uh, help in this process to come to strategies, but also have the ability to critically discuss the strategies and its implementation, I think is key for a communication professional. Yeah, because um, from what you mentioned now, uh, it really creates this image of um, communication as this network throughout everything a business does or wants to achieve in a sense, which is kind of a very um, challenging position to be in as a communication professional, I can imagine. Yeah, I think so. And if I also look at it from my, my own perspective, a communication professional on the master's level, you know, when you graduate from the MIG, you should be able to fly over in this process, but you're also with your feet in the middle of this process, handling stakeholders' communications. You look ahead, you are in the daily communication management and, um, and you deal with people and with a lot of processes. And I think the people are also hard to deal with. It is really nice, I can tell. I love it every day. But diverse, and if you have a lot of cultural diversity, it is also a challenge. And people come into your office with different moods every day. So if your goal today was a strategy development session and people come in with a bad mood or with a certain kind of resistance, you should be able to put people in a comfort zone and to, to, that they feel comfortable or that they feel safe or that you are able to um, put away the resistance if there's any. So I think on all these levels, you are a communication professional. And then in your role as fly over the whole process, you should be able to keep the perspective to advise your CEO or your superior or other stakeholders on communication strategies or communication tactics you have identified. Yeah, I think it's very interesting to hear how much of um, like an overarching umbrella it is over almost everything a business does. Yes. And I'm, I'm uh, very happy in a sense to hear that you um, agree with that because it's part of the reason why I uh, chose to be studying at the MIC because I always look for, for jobs that are very diverse and challenging. Yeah. It's very cool to hear that. Um, and I'm very curious in that sense uh, how you see that in your own work at the MIC um, and at the uh, East Africa Hub. What I do is uh, in the MIC is also building trust and make sure that everybody, because we have students covering 24 nationalities, that everybody feels safe and at ease in, 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 in the class. I think that is a very important task of me to create that atmosphere. But it's not, of course, not only my responsibility, but we have a mixed staff who exactly have the same goal, so that everybody feels safe and at ease uh, in the MIG. That's why we invest so much in, uh, in a community. Second, 
I focus on, on strategies, not only on the daily management to keep the, the processes fluently, but also uh, on strategy development. And I think one of these strategies is that we are also aligned to international university partners. And we already have international university partners. We work closely with Leeds Beckett University. We work with the uh, Vilnius University in uh, Lithuania, but we also like to expand our networks in East Africa. So East Africa, uh, Hans already has a network in East Africa, in Tanzania, Kenya and Uganda. And we would like to collaborate more on research communication projects with these universities. And the online facilities gives us the opportunity to do so. So what I would like to do in the Hans East Africa Hub is to actively contribute to acquire more uh, relevant and sustainable research assignments in the field of international communication, business and energy. So it is broader uh, with the aim to give all Hansa students the opportunity to work internationally and also in an intercultural environment. environment. So students learn to approach these research problems also from an intercultural perspective and that they run the intercultural dialogue with each other. Yeah. Because I truly believe that you can't learn international communication uh, from the books, but you have to experiment, experience it. And not all programs have an international classroom as to make. And uh, so therefore, I think it's very important that I, uh, that I do this job on the site to the daily management of the MIG. Yeah, you mentioned that it's very important for people to experience the international side of communication uh, themselves. And I'm actually very curious uh, about maybe a moment that you remember that you realized how important uh, international communication was to you in your career. I realized that many moments and I'm still learning. I think a nice example may also be uh, China. Uh, in the past, uh, I did a lot of study trips uh, to China with bachelor international communication students. And before we went to China, we agreed with the Chinese professors on a program, a fixed program. But then when we arrived in China, everything went differently. And really, it drove me crazy. I did not understand. Um, appointments were never on time. Um, the scheduling was changing all the time. Um, as teachers, we had to meet new people all the time. And to be honest, I thought that our uh, Chinese professors were a little bit dominant in uh, influencing the agenda. But I later found out that this was not the case. This is what they do when they host a guest. They want the best for you. And the best for you is that you meet with interesting stakeholders who are at that moment available for you. And that is more important than an agreed and fixed agenda you prepared a week ago. So they are just much more in the moment seeking the best for you. That's one. And secondly, also the focus on personal relationships, because it was also more important for the Chinese professors to get to know the Hansa professors, to make time for that, and then to have hours lunch or dinner with a duration of three or four hours 
was more important than other meetings which were already planned. So yeah. that is what I really learned. And I was not aware that this was also part of intercultural differences. My yeah. instincts, my natural instincts were saying, oh no, you're blocking my agenda. You're blocking the efficiency of this trip. This is not okay. Yeah. But this was not the case. I Very was wrong. Much. Yeah, yeah. I, I really wrong. feel the same things because I'm also from a Dutch background. Yeah. And as soon as you started explaining, I was like, oh, that makes sense if you approach it from an intercultural aspect. But I can imagine that that might lead to discussions or misunderstandings yeah. if you don't have that. Can I do another example? Yes, of course. Because time, I think time is really an issue because I'm always, I'm very Dutch when it comes to being on time and, you know, you have an agenda. Uh, I also work as a facilitator in East Africa and I facilitate processes. And something what um, immediately struck me is that no one came in time for my sessions. Mm -hmm. And that is really annoying, I can tell, because I prepared, of course, and I work, I, I prepared and I work with very nice uh, participatory methods, but these methods are very timed. And as you can imagine, if you start a group participation and everybody runs in late or whatever, that can be very annoying and disturbing for you. Yeah. Were these people not interested in your session or were they just blocking you or whatever? That's not the case. In Africa, you don't know when your bus comes, you know? Public transport is not that efficient as in uh, our country. So it is accepted that people come late because of lack of transport or you don't know if there was a bus or not. That is not a problem. If you are not feeling well, it is also okay that you come a little bit later because it is better when you are recovered from a flu and you feel better and your headache has, is gone. It is better to come more healthy in a session than when you come in time with a headache. So these little, uh, little differences I also, I have to say, I really learned to be more flexible yeah. in dealing with uh, a kind of acceptance that people sometimes arrive a little bit later. And the same goes when they leave the session. And that is more uh, a flexible process. And what I've also learned is that you don't have to accept everything. You can also say and be strict in saying like, and this is hard for me to work. So can we then agree that we perhaps start a little bit later and that we end a little bit earlier, but to be sure that you're all there. I also learned that you can have this dialogue together, but you have to accept that it's sometimes not workable that everybody uh, arrives at 8.30 sharp. Yeah. Yeah, in the Netherlands, that's, that's the norm. Um, yeah. If our class starts at 8.30, the door closes at 8.30. And that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I can imagine that that's something that might be difficult for international students to adjust to as well. Yes, I can imagine. And these are really triggers. And sometimes you're not even aware that it is a trigger for you till the moment you are exposed with it. Now, and I think also what I've learned in China, but also in countries as Kenya, Tanzania and Uganda, that the Dutch have a very straightforward way of saying it. Yeah. And in particular, when you are in a group and when I do facilitations, then I work with groups with a lot of hygiene. So 
there are deans present, there are teachers present with different functions and so on, mm -hmm. then you really have to be aware that you cannot say anything and blurt out in a very straightforward way your yeah. own personal opinion. You have to respect uh, the group process, the hierarchy in the group, and you have to be cautious in how you say it. Yeah. And that is also that was also a challenge for me, and I think I learned all the way. Yeah, it's very interesting to hear about your uh, experiences. Um, unfortunately, we're getting close to the end of the episode. Um, and, and I'm really thankful for uh, the amount of experiences and examples you've been able to share. Um, and to kind of round the episode off in uh, hopefully a fun way, I would like to ask you what your favorite country to travel to is. My favorite country? I have still many countries on my bucket list, but I think till now my favorite country is Kenya. Um, I like the people, they're very entrepreneurial, very proactive, and the country is beautiful with the Masai Mara, um, the Nakuru Lake, and its national parks, the Serengeti. I'm really impressed by, uh, by its nature and by its people. Yeah. And the good you. weather, most oh, yeah. of the time. I can imagine that. It's very different. Yeah, That's very different. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, then I want to thank you for making time for me today and for sharing uh, all your knowledge and expertise. Um, I'm very excited to be making this uh, podcast. So thank you for um, helping me make it. Um, and I'm very curious to see where all of this goes. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. The podcast Mastering Communication is brought to you by the Master's Program in International Communication of the Hanse University of Applied Sciences in Groningen. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you in the next one.